Morning. Good to see you all. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 3. And we're looking at verses 27 through 31. And um, do expect to be through with this section, and we'll move to chapter 4 next week, Lord willing. And uh, this week, I want us to look at uh, particularly verses 29 through 31. Last week, we looked at uh, 27 and 28. And uh, we see that there is no boasting to be had. Uh, there is nothing that we can claim um, that uh, is convincing in any way that we bring any merit whatsoever to our salvation. And uh, this week, I want us to focus on three implications of justification that we find in verses 29 through 31. Uh, Paul has been teaching clearly that God is a righteous God. He's been making that known since chapter 1, and he's continued to make it known throughout chapter 3. And that righteousness, the righteousness of God, has now been manifested uh, apart from the law. And it's there, it's that line that started out this teaching of justification by faith alone. And so uh, Paul has been teaching this. He he expects God, uh, who is righteous, he expects his creatures to be righteous. Uh, That's you and me, by the way, all right? We're the creatures. He expects us to be righteous, but none of us are righteous, not one of us. None of us are righteous, And the only one who is righteous is Jesus Christ. The dilemma created by this particular reality is how will anyone be found righteous before God in the final judgment? How will anyone be found righteous before God in the final judgment? Paul has the answer. What we discover, though, is that many people do not like Paul's answer, which is one thing that he's dealing with, dealing with the Jews in much of the language that he says here. Paul says, I have the answer. The only way anyone will be able to stand before God is by righteousness that is provided by God. That's the only way. The only way anyone will be able to stand before God on the final day is by righteousness that is provided by God. God accepts us only because of His Son, Jesus Christ. Only because of His Son. There is no work, there is nothing that we can do. Only because of Jesus are we justified, are we accepted, are we declared righteous. There's nothing else that does it. Paul gets a lot of kickback from this teaching of justification by faith. I want you to know I do too. Um, And I may may share some of that. But I get a lot of kickback from it too. Anybody who is sharing the gospel rightly is going to get kickback from someone, somewhere. So Paul is simply saying, God accepts us 
only because of his son. And as you trust Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous as if you were his son. Isn't that crazy? I mean, isn't it nuts, seemingly, to us anyway, that God would declare us righteous? I mean, I know me. I'm not righteous. And God says, I know that. Behold my son. Believe him and him alone. That's great news. That's great news. So I want us to notice three implications raised in these three verses. They close out Romans chapter 3. The first one is that he is God of Jews and Gentiles. He is God of Jews and Gentiles. Secondly, I want us to notice there is one way of justification for everyone. One way of justification for everyone. And lastly, God's commands are not nullified by justification by faith alone. They are not nullified. The laws are, God's commands are not nullified. In other words, they mean something. So first of all, he's God of Jews and Gentiles. Look what he says in verse 29. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Paul here is reiterating something. And that is that there is not one way for Jews to be saved and one way for Gentiles to be saved. There is one way for Gentiles and Jews to be saved. That's it. Just one way. Um, he'll spend much of his ministry on this one point. In different places that he goes, he's going to have to repeat this lesson over and over and over again. There's no longer something dividing Jews and Gentiles, he will have to say. The same gospel that saves Gentiles is the same gospel that saves Jews. He's going to spend much of his ministry speaking these truths. The Jews were, were uh, ethnically exclusive and legally external in their religion. They had much that they did, their laws that they kept, not only keeping the moral demands and uh, so forth, but also uh, maintaining a ceremonial law, which is something that Paul had to battle a lot with what were known as Judaizers. Uh, but saying that they were ethnically exclusive and legally external in their religion promoted a climate among them that made it difficult for them to accept God's divine breakdown 
of the walls of separation between Jew and Gentile. They had a hard time believing this gospel of justification by faith alone and that it was for them and for the Gentiles. This particular teaching taught that the divine fulfillment of the Old Testament came through Jesus Christ. The way that they thought deafened some of the Jews from hearing the truth of Paul's teaching on justification by faith. So Paul's emphasis here when he is speaking of God being one God and being the God of both Jew and Gentile, the one who saves both Jew and Gentile in the same manner, him saying that is the emphasis that he's pointing to. There is only one way of salvation for both Jews and Gentiles. Can I pause for a minute and just say this? That's wonderful news. That's good news for us Gentiles. Okay? I mean, us Gentiles ought to be happy about this. This was why he came. Okay? Uh, Let me read a couple of passages that uh, Paul is going to continue throughout Romans bringing this up. And in every other letter, it comes up in some shape, form, or fashion about this, uh, uh, this uh, dividing wall being broken down between uh, Jews and Gentiles. In Romans chapter 10, uh, Romans chapter 10 verses 12 through 13, uh, Paul writes this, uh, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Y'all hear what he said? No distinction between Jew and Greek. You say, well, that's the Greeks. They're Gentiles, all right? Greeks are Gentiles. Gentiles are Gentiles. Jews are Jews. And there's no dividing wall. It's an emphasis that he continues to make over and over again. And what he is saying is there's only one way for anyone to be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Romans chapter 15, he has some rejoicing going on. And that's what I was getting at is we ought to, as Gentiles, just be rejoicing for the truth that there's one way to salvation. The reason is, is because Jesus actually said, salvation is of the Jews. I mean, he came, he's a Jew. What? It's been opened up. Salvation is for Gentiles and Jews. And so in Romans chapter 15, verse 8, it says this, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, To show, there's that right there, he's a Jew, he's a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness. Why? In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. 
Well, why did he do that? In, in order that the Gentiles might glorify, glorify God for his mercy. Listen, for as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope, Gentiles. That makes me very happy. We should rejoice. In this point that Paul drives over and over and over again. Salvation is of the Jews. And it's for both Jew and Gentile. And there's no one who will be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ alone. Secondly, I want us to notice this one way of justification for everyone. Back in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, because there is only one God. Notice that he says that. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Because there's only one God, there's only one way of justification. And it's for both Jew and Gentile. When you consider that God is one, and that's what Paul just said, and there's not a Jew alive then that would say, God's not one. Oh, they all said he was one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They all believed that. And so Paul is driving home a point that because God is one, there's not separate means of salvation. And salvation and justification comes only by means of faith in Jesus Christ. So when you consider that God is one and God is just... We know that that's true. The righteousness of God has been manifested. It says in verse 21. Verse 26 says that it was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and he is and the justifier. Of the one who has faith in Jesus. So when you consider that God is one and that God is just. Part of justice is that you don't do one thing for one people. And one thing for another people. This makes clear there's only one way. Of justification. Well, I guess that's how people are saved today, but back 
in the Old Testament. People weren't saved that way. Paul's arguing exactly opposite of that when we get to chapter 4. Because when he speaks of Abraham, what does he say about Abraham? He believed God. He said, well, yeah, okay, well, the, the Jews then, I guess they did get saved by faith. Yes, indeed, they did. But the Gentiles, you know, in the Old Testament, they didn't get saved by faith. I submit to you that Rahab believed God. And so she hid the spies. And we could go over and over on that. You see, the gospel and salvation and justification by faith isn't new. But it is fully done. Because Christ has died on that cross. Because Christ is righteous. Because he has imputed his righteousness to us. There's only one way of salvation. There are many, even in those who profess to be Christians, that believe there are many ways to salvation. Y'all ever heard that? I mean from Christians, from people who profess Jesus Christ. And they will say to you that there are many ways to salvation. You know? Uh, the, the, the illustration that I heard years ago, and I guess still gets used today, is they talk about this one mountain and many paths to the top of that mountain. There are many ways, they would say. Paul's arguing very much against that concept. Very much against any philosophy, any gospel that would claim that there is another way to God apart from Jesus Christ. Now, we who believe there's only one way, we may be accused of being narrow-minded, or bigoted, or biased, or intolerant. Because we say there's only one way. You can't get there any other way. All those things would be true if we had made it up. But we didn't make it up. And Paul's going to argue from that perspective over and over again. Well, I would... I would accept that I'm arrogant, except that I didn't make this stuff up. This isn't my opinion. This isn't my idea. This is the Word of God. And so what he's saying basically is this. It's kind of like there's no other way. It's in the Scriptures. It's not some isolated teaching in the Scriptures. It's all over the Scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament alike. It's historic Christianity. Those who deny that faith in Jesus is the only way to salvation deny essential truths for salvation. 
they either deny the necessity of his death or they deny the the sufficiency of his death. They either deny the necessity, he didn't have to die, or the sufficiency. You need something else. No, you don't. I, I used to, back in my younger days, I used to, I had permission to open up the YMCA. Now, don't get any grandiose ideas. This was the old YMCA for you old, old town people. Uh, and uh, it wasn't much there, but they did have a basketball court there, and they let me open that thing up. And I spread information at the high schools and everything, said, hey, this thing's going to be open on Sunday afternoon. Y'all come on up. The intent was to share the gospel uh, with those boys. And boy, they showed up in droves. Man, I had to, I had, we had to do tournaments because there were so many kids, you know. And so we just had a blast, you know, playing basketball and things like that and breaking up fights. And it was, it was radical. It really was. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and so we just had a, had a big time. And I'd sit them down about halfway through the time, which we were there for about three hours. About an hour and a half in, I'd sit them down, and, and they'd, they'd all sit down. I'd pull out Gatorade and water and everything like that, and they'd sit and listen to the gospel. And then we'd go back and finish, the, finish playing ball. Um, but one day, uh, a guy from the community, it was the, the, the black community, came there, and he was hanging out. And he began to talk about the gospel and all that they needed to do to be saved. And I, I didn't turn it over. He just talked to a group of them here. And I overheard him. And he said, and unless you are baptized all the way into the water and brought back up, you're not saved. This was a big old dude. He played football in the NFL, and I walked over to him, and I said, excuse me, you're wrong. <laughs> Don't hit me. And I got the scriptures out, and I began to explain to him, it's only Christ. These are people who claim to know Jesus Christ. And they say, he's not enough. A church of Christ minister has to put you under water and pull you back up or you're not saved. You say, you know, Rick, I've heard all this stuff. This applies to us. Because a gospel that says you have to be baptized to be saved is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing can be added to the work he did on that cross. And that's what Paul is arguing. Nothing. They either say it's not sufficient or it's not necessary. The moment you think Jesus is one option of many, you deny one or both of these truths. 
You can't just be open to Jesus as an option. You either willingly bow your knee to Jesus Christ or on the last day, he will forcefully bow your knee to him. Lastly, God commands, God's commands are not nullified by justification through faith. Listen to what Paul says. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Well, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We're not overthrowing anything. We're upholding it by this gospel. We're upholding it by this teaching of justification by faith. Paul got this objection everywhere he went. Aren't you suggesting, someone would say, obedience doesn't matter? Aren't you suggesting that holiness doesn't matter? (laughs) Y'all have no idea how many people say that to me when I share the gospel. Which means you're probably sharing the gospel right. Because Paul got this objection all the time. I get this constantly. No, I'm not saying that. I say with Paul, by no means. Of course not. I I want us to to understand that that he's dealing with this. (laughs) Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? No. That's what's going on. Paul's saying, in fact, my teaching does exactly the opposite of that. Justification justification by faith, uh, rightly understood, doesn't lead you to neglect the law. It leads you to say, how I love your law, O Lord. I love it. I love the law. I love your commands. That's what it leads to. Faith doesn't lead you to believe now that you're saved, you can do anything you want. Paul says, no. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Paul wants us to understand that you contribute absolutely nothing to your own justification through works. I'm going to say that again. You contribute absolutely nothing to your own justification by works. Nothing. You can't even drop a penny in the plate and it count for you. You can't drop a million bucks in the plate and it count for you. There's nothing you can do and it'll count for you. Nothing. He's bringing that home. He's saying this is the truth. And people, because of his preaching, because of his teaching, are saying... You mean we don't have to obey anything anymore? Super. No, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, really. The gospel sounds like that. To a certain degree. 
Paul wants us to understand that we contribute nothing to our own justification through works. On the other hand, he wants us to understand that obedience and works and love, which flow from a renewed heart, are a necessary part of the Christian life. We'll deal more with that as it comes. It's a necessary part of Christian life. Christian obedience is necessary. Not to be saved. It's simply the outflow of the power of God working in us to transform us and change us. That's when we say, I love your law, oh God. He says it probably best and most comprehensively and smallly. I can't think of a word. I'm from Louisiana. Y'all have to excuse me. I can't think of words sometimes. But it puts all this in one little place in Ephesians chapter 2. Look with me there. Look with me there. Ephesians chapter 2. I noticed fellow Louisianians caught that just by the expressions on your face. Terribly familiar passage. Never let it become too familiar that it doesn't just amaze you. Listen. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. <laughs> Justification by faith alone. By grace, through faith. And that not of yourselves. None of it's of you. That's what Paul's saying. And people push back on him on that. And folks, we can never bend from that gospel. We can never bend from that gospel. Because any gospel other than that is not the gospel. And there's a ton of them out there. They... There are gospels out there that are deceiving you and your children and your neighbors. And that somehow you make some kind of contribution. We condition God, in a sense, to accept us. No, we don't. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Wait a minute. It's not by works. You're right. Salvation is not by works. Justification is not by works. There are no works to bring. But on the other side of it, there are works, good works, which God prepared beforehand. In other words, you don't even determine what those are. God determines that. 
Do these things. Keep my commands. Follow me. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Anytime you mix works into your basis of acceptance by God, you do two things. You diminish the fullness of the provision of Christ. You take away what only Christ can do. You diminish the fullness of the provision of Christ. And secondly, you undercut any possibility of assurance of salvation. You cannot feel certain about your salvation if it's based on what you do. Can't do it. Based on what you can't do it. Sorry, not possible. There's no assurance found there. There's absolutely no assurance in looking at your works. Why is that? Because your works are filthy. They're corrupt. You don't even know, and you can't even know, the bottom of your motivations. Paul says, the beauty of my teaching is, yes, obedience is important, but it has nothing to do with your free justification in Christ Jesus. Nothing. People struggle with assurance. You ever do that? You ever struggle with assurance? People come to me all the time. Man, I just don't know if I'm saved. I just don't know if I'm saved. Why not? Well, and I always point them to one place. Same place you got to go to be saved. I point them to Jesus Christ. Is he sufficient? Was his death necessary? Did God lay on him all your iniquity, past, present, and future? Yes, be assured. Be assured then. Hallelujah, I don't have to look to my works. Hallelujah, I can look to Christ and Christ alone. And in looking to Christ alone, anything that I'm not doing well, I want you to know, he transforms it. Christ alone, my hope is found. It's the only place. Don't look anywhere else except Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the renewal of our hearts and our minds and our being. not based on us coming to you and saying, I'll do better, but on you coming to us and saying, believe on my son. 
And Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, that there's no part of my salvation or any of our salvation that depends on us. Because if it did, we would lose it. We would absolutely lose it. And so, Lord, we want to give you thanks that you have given us a secure hope in Jesus Christ alone. Let us never falter. In his name we pray. Amen.